0: Hi, and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton Podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Martin. This week, we are going over the cyclocross worlds that just happened this last week, uh, the first road professional road race of the season, GP La Uh, And we will touch on the current, uh, there's a five-stage stage race in the Aquitaine region of France called Etoile de Bézeneges. But first, if you want to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash pod. or you can sign up to the premium newsletter at beyond, beyond the peloton.substack.com. There's a free weekly edition. If you like this podcast, uh, obviously sign up for that. You'd enjoy it. And a paid more, uh, it, it becomes it more frequently, the paid one, uh, at least three times a week during major races, it's every day, uh you can just find that at beyondthepeloton.substack.com and we also we have a few uh, a few discounts if you uh join the premium membership you get like 20% off Cure of Switzerland clothing, some great bike clothing, Stages cycling, uh like all their outdoor products like power meters, head units, heart rate monitors and uh currently have a sale going on Strava premium memberships. So uh, you could almost make your money back on that. And I'm still, uh, I'm still out there hunting for new partners. So the deal just keeps getting better and better. We'll talk about cyclocross worlds on Sunday. Um, not- notable because it's like two of the best, I would say two of the best cyclists in the world currently racing on the beach in the ocean. It was pretty interesting on the the Belgian coastline, Woot Van Aert versus Matthew Vanderpoel. Vanderpool emerged victorious, Uh, super impressive, it's his fourth ever, uh, or fourth total, fourth career total uh, Cyclocross World Championship, Woot Van Aert, they had both won three world titles before this, so this is the tiebreaker, but if we look back, uh, Vanderpool's won this year, 2020 and 2019, so the last three, and Van Aert actually hasn't won one since 2018 in Valkenburg, he won 2016, 17, 18, the three-peat, uh, pretty impressive. But at this point, it's pretty clear is the better cyclocross rider, which is pretty amazing because Woot Van Aert, I thought was the best cyclocross rider I'd ever seen until 2018. And then now he's gotten beaten three straight. Well, I guess he didn't race last year, but he's gotten beaten, I guess, two consecutive world championships. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just shocking. It's shocking to me. There's a couple strange things about this, a couple interesting, fun, and strange things just first of all, though, is if we cast our minds back, this podcast was basically the Woot Van Art podcast for like the first five or six episodes. So, it's, it's all we talked about. He was when Milano Sanremo, Strata Bianchi, incredible at the Tour de France. I mean, doing things at the Tour de France that I thought were not possible. I did not think it was humanly possible to do that much work in the mountains, to be that good of a climber while winning sprint stages, just by yourself, freelancing. Gets second place at time trial world championships, so it's like he's literally doing everything, every discipline of cycling. He's doing it at like the like the world class level, better than any, almost better than anyone else. And then he just kind of looked kind of pedestrian out there next to Vanderpool. I, I, I don't know what to say. I was really shocked. It was just, I thought Van Art was the heir apparent to like the one day, uh, the one day title crown. Last year, I thought, well, this guy is going to, he's the next Fabian Cancellara and Tom Boonin combined like this. He's probably, I think I said at the Strada Bianchi, if you go back to the Strada Bianchi podcast, he doesn't appear to have like, he doesn't quite have that extra time trial gear that Cancellara had, but he almost does. He almost has it. And I think he's a more skilled rider and a better racer and he's getting beat. I mean, beat handily. So he he lost to Vanderpool. I'd say their last two big head-to-heads were uh, Tour Flanders, which was oddly last. It's a spring classic, but it was like last November at this point. And then this, and Vanderpool Vanderpool beat him with a bike throw at Flanders. So it, it was not a, like a clear chouncing. They were, if anything, they were like very equal. And then Vanderpool wins wins Cross Worlds. It is worth noting that Van Art did appear to have a flat tire at some point early in the race, maybe around like 12 minutes in, something like that. So that, that could have, after that flat, I mean, he just could have, he got within like 10, 9 seconds, and then it just pulled out to like close to 40 seconds by the end. So, you know, maybe that was the difference, but... Uh, I do think it's notable that in the last two big races head-to-head, v- Vanderpol's come out on top. So that makes me excited to see what's cool about this co- weird COVID schedule is we just had the Spring Classics a few months ago. Now we have Cyclocross World Championships, and then we have Spring Classics in two more months. So we're just going to get to see th- this really interesting head-to-head battle just like continue. Seemingly indefinitely, so uh, yeah, it should be some great, great, great one-day battles coming up between these two. But then the other thing is just how much better. I wrote about this in the newsletter. Just how much better they were than everybody else. And these are like world-class cross riders. That they're, I mean, so two and a half minutes into the race, Vanderpool or Van Art is pulling away in the sand. They, they, I don't know. If you haven't seen this race, you should look up um, at least just some images of it. Uh, I, I have some in the, in the free newsletter that came out the day after, or just a YouTube clip, but they're, they're like literally riding in the ocean. It's crazy. Um, and then they have to climb up the beach. It's really hard, ridiculously hard. Uh, The cycling podcast guys were, it's funny how much they hate cross. I kind of, I used to be really into cross. Now I'm less into it. It can be kind of a silly, stupid sport. Uh, (laughs) they were just like saying how grotesque it is, how these, these riders who are, normally look beautiful on a bike on the road have to, they have to ride in grotesque uh, manners to, to get over these, these uh, obstacles, which is, it is somewhat true. It is crazy. I mean, they look like they're struggling. They don't look like they're very good cyclists, but it's because they're riding in deep sand on a beach. Like just to even be able to ride on that is incredible. So yeah, like two, two and a half minutes into the race, it's breaking up already three minutes in it's Vanderpool and Van art. Just, they're just done. The race is over. And you know, that, isn't it's not a great sign for the sport of cross as a whole if I mean tune arts is the third best. He got third in this race at the World Championship, so he's the third best rider in the world, I'd say. Um, he's very good. Like he was very good. Like when Sven Nies and uh, Kevin Kevin Powell's like I'm like barely remembering these. These were like the cross right the cross champions of old. When they retired, it was like Lars Vanderhaar and Tounart were going to be like the next stars, and like no, those guys are minutes behind. It's it's just wild to watch. I mean, Tom Pidcock and Tounart were the only ones who finished within two minutes of Vanderpol, and I mean, Pidcock's supposed to be like the next big thing. He's not that. I mean, he's like a year. I think he's the same age or maybe a year younger than Tadej Pogacar, who just won the Tour de France, and so it's like. And normally it's like, wow, 21 years old. He's only a minute and a half down at cyclocross world championships. Like this guy's going to be star of the future. But I mean, he's, young, he's older than Remco Evinable. Who's like the second best favorite to win the Tour de France current. So I think it's just safe to say he's not on the same level as Vanderpoel and Van Art, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but we should, we should not expect the same things from him on the road. And at 12 minutes in Vanderpoel crashes. I think he's out of the race because, uh, Van Art, obviously, second best time trialist in the world. So, second best at riding alone by himself, really fast, really hard. It's like, well, this guy's going to hold. He's, he doesn't stand a chance. And Van Art did, he did get a flat tire. Uh, so, I don't know how, it was hard to tell how much that played into uh, Vanderpool's comeback, but it did look like he, it looked like he was pulling him back before Van Art got the flat tire, which is super impressive. Uh, and then Van, Vanderpool passes him. It's like a little time gap chart in the newsletter. But you can just see, as soon as Van Art gets a flat, the gap just shoots up. It gets up to about 10 seconds. He gets a new bike, pulls it back down to about 7 seconds, but then it's just leaking time for, like, the next 30 minutes. Uh, and these races are, like, an hour long. So uh, I, I just... I, I was, like, flabbergasted that he would just... It, it looked... He looked... Be, he was like just a beaten man, is how I would describe him. I, I was was surprised to see that, but we should, if we cast our minds back to beginning of the cross season, he did have a couple interviews where he signaled that this he was not taking this as seriously as he was taking the road and he was not expecting to win a world title. Um, I'm sure once he got there on Sunday, he was you know ready to go, but it's possible that Vanderpool and Vanderpool is on a much, much smaller road team. Um, he's tour, he's tour Flanders champion, which is Really impressive. I mean, it's very hard to win that race. But having said that, he's not even really a full-time road racer. So he he's just on a small team. They don't do any Grand Tours. They, I don't think they've ever done a Grand Tour. So his road schedule is lighter. So he can put more energy towards cyclocross. But uh, that's actually changing this year because his team got into the Tour de France. And the tour organizer, ASO, said, Under no circumstances can you not send Matthew Vanderpool Matthew Vanderbilt doesn't he had, gave an interview recently where he clearly doesn't want to go to the Tour de France. Uh, he just thinks it's a big waste of time and he's got better things to do, like race mountain bikes in the summer, which is kind of crazy because he's 26 years old, which is really the prime of your racing life. Probably the best rider in the world. Um, just like and has no time for the world, for the sport's biggest race, which is I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. It's it's really it's it's interesting. It's kind of fun, but it's also strange where you're like, is he like kind of breaking the the model of cycling where like you generally want your best riders at the best races? But if you're not doing that, um, it, the interest gets fractured and it's hard for fans to focus. And he did say he that he he might leave the tour early to focus on the Olympics, which is I cannot imagine his sponsors are going to be ha- would be happy with that decision. They're pretty much just sponsoring the team. To they're spending a lot more money than they were last year. I mean, the tour, whether the riders think it or not, the tour is really all that matters. You sponsor a cycling team to get exposure at the Tour de France. That's it. So, I mean, Canyon, his bike sponsor, like, and I guess some of the, and some of they're getting some exposure just from him being so good. But it really, I mean, winning this cross world championship, he's just speaking to like, the country of Belgium people in Belgium that are interested in cycling which isn't everyone it's not 100% of the country and like diehard cycling fans so it's not the best marketing return if you want to reach a general public you it's you've got you've got to be in the tour de France so i would assume the sponsors are really pressuring them to do that but we've officially got off topic of uh, crossworlds and the the last the kind of the last thing is I just think there's there's a lot of questions for cross as a sport where these guys are essentially doing this part-time and they're crushing riders who are doing it full-time like absolutely crushing so it's like I kind of hate this question is like is it good for the sport well it's well it is you know it's not good or bad it just is it's the reality it's like they're not going to make a rule where they're going to bar these guys from racing so it's not even really worth asking that question but I do wonder what happens if they stop racing cross, which it doesn't sound like either of them want to. So this might just be a moot point. But if they did, you'd, then we're left with these these riders we know who are not good. They're or not good. We know they are not the best cross riders in the world. We, we've just seen it like over and over again. And now they're the best, quote unquote, the best. It. You saw this when Michael Jordan retired in the NBA. And then we were left with these players who just we knew weren't as good. And they were our stars for eight years. And that was probably the lowest interest the NBA's had in a long, long time. It was just, it was this big hangover, this letdown. And it's hard to keep fan interest. So I think that's something to keep an an eye on. And also Tom Pickcock uh, got fourth. He signed with Ineos the next day. It's not clear to me if he's going to keep racing. I cannot imagine Ineos would let him keep racing cross. Um, So curious to see how that plays out so we should keep an eye, keep an eye on that for next winter but I would not expect them to keep racing I just don't that doesn't seem like something they would allow a rider to do and they've never had interest in letting riders have flexible schedules before so on on the same day there's uh the first pro road race of the year which is kind of silly where so the pro road cycling is waiting until the same day as the biggest cross race to unveil its season. It just seems so silly. I mean, you might as well just do it Saturday at least, but it was very odd. GP La Marseillaise. And it was won by, ooh, pronunciation police are going to be out on this one. Arion Parent Piontre. I've never, I've never heard of this guy before. Um, Arion, Arion, I have no idea how to say his name. Parat Pientré. Pientré. I've never heard of him. He's on AG2R Citroën, which he upset a lot, we should say. This guy, uh, I don't think he'd ever... He's never won a pro road race before. He's like 24, 25 years old. He's been on the team for a few years. So, obviously, if you've been on a world tour team for like three or four years, you're pretty good. But he upsets... A lot of good riders. Tim Well, I mean Brian Kucard got third. He's, uh, I think he's gotten second at Tour de France stage before, so he's very good. Tim Wellens, a very good rider, um, dropped Philippe Gilbert and John Degenkall. So it's a quality win. Uh, but as I, I kind of wrote about this before the day before the race, two days before the race, that you kind of get these like no not, no name but just lesser-known riders winning races like this because it's worth it for them to peak early and kind of torpedo the rest of their season because they're not going to win anyway in the rest of the year. So you might as well try to grab wins when you can. Uh, And if you're a really good rider, you're just building up now. Why would you go all out for this small race that I think this year is the first year it's ever been televised? Not a serious race. Um, If anything, you you can be overcooked for this. You can be too good. Um, like if we saw Nairo Quintana at the Tour of Provence last year was incredible. And then that, that's in February, and that's as good as he was all year because he was overcooked and he peaked way too early. So that is, uh, I was not surprised to see that. That That's something that happens. But just trying to pick, that's why trying to pick these winners for these races, it's it's so, so hard. He did take the the sprint. It was like an uphill sprint with like a really, really stiff crosswind, and he had, he was in the sheltered side, so he was in the draft, and that's, if you watch that sprint finish, that's why he won the race, because uh Kakard and I think Thomas Boudou from Lotto were just like eating wind the whole time, so just all things being equal, you're going to win when you have the better line like that, Uh, and it was really interesting, so both this race, and then itole de Besnèges, which I think is like the crown of La Besinege, which is a region of Aquitaine, region of France. Um, I I actually know nothing about. The, I know Eleanor of Aquitaine, and that's about it. I don't really know much else about this region until this morning when I tuned in to watch the race. It was beautiful. Um, I can see why they they sponsor this race or allow this race to happen in the region. I want to go there now. It was worth it. But uh, we're seeing start list of, of like a caliber that you'd never get at races like this. Um, and it's kind of like an interesting throwback before the early season has been so globalized where um, anyone who's anyone is usually going to the Middle East. There used to be like three or four races in the Middle East. And it's like it's just so hot. Like it's so easy to train. It's easier to ride just in warm weather, and those races are hard. Those are legit hard races. So every you know any good classics rider always goes to the Middle East. Um, there's Tour of San Juan in Argentina, where you get a lot of uh, a lot of good riders and like a lot of good GC riders going down there. So what's left? And then uh, there's like a Tour of the Algarve in Portugal, and then Andalusia in Spain, and these French races are just like they're they're just. Basically, races—it's like intra-French racing. It's just uh, pro-continental French teams and a few World Tour teams. But this year, it's kind of like a return to the racing scene before all of that globalization, where you just have like all the best riders in the world showing up to like chilly French races. Uh, and it, it's actually—it's—it's it's been good because usually everything's so fractured, where it's like, well, what race do I watch? It's like San Juan's running at the same time as. Tour Down Under, and then you have Algarve and Andalusia competing against each other. It can just be a big mess. But this, it's like, hey, there's only one race on all week. So, and all the and all the good riders are there. So, that, I think that's actually something they should take from. This. It should be like a learning tool where they should try to funnel all the best riders to a single race. It makes it very easy to pay attention. And this race is getting so much more attention. I would never be writing about this or podcasting about it normally, but. You have like Garrett Thomas and Egan Bernal and Filippo Ganna, uh, Vincenzo Nibali, Philippe Gilbert, John Degenkolb, Alberto Bettiol. I mean, this is like a it's like a Grand Tour lineup. This small French race. So uh, that it's kind of like a, like a funny upside to these this COVID rescheduling. But even though there's big names here, you, the trap is you get too we get way too excited. I see this from a lot of people where they get way too into these early season races. And you just you're not gonna see anything from the big stars I mean Gilbert's not going to do anything at this race Bernal um thomas Nibali, I mean the best they're just there to get training miles in their legs they don't care about results of these races uh but it's kind of an there are you know but if you just go a level deeper it is kind of interesting where like today was a punchy they did they balanced i have been impressed with with the route so far and then the roots the uh, the profiles I've looked at where it was like an uphill finish, and it, but it wasn't. You know, some of these uphills are so mild that it just turns into a sprint stage, and like Pascal Ackerman, who's at this race, is would just wipe the floor with everyone. Or it's too hard, and there's sprinters can't really compete, and it's just a climbers' delight. But today it was like Buhani, Nanser Buhani versus Christophe Laporte, just two very different riders um, duking it out for the win. Is mean, they really did a good job of balancing balancing that finish. Uh, so hats off to them, but. And So you're going to get riders. You're just going to get local French riders winning winning this because a they know the roads. Uh, there's some really 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 tricky uh, finishing roads at this race, so it helps to have local knowledge. And they're just it's it, they have incentive to to target this. I mean, Christophe Laporte. This could be the biggest. If he wins the GC at this race, that's like the biggest win of his of his year. And that's big for Kofidis. Kofidis barely wins. If you go to my team previews for the newsletter, like shocking how little kofi just wins i think they won two races last year so yeah they're gonna go all in for this thing um and if you're vincennes or garrett thomas you don't care about this i mean your objectives are later in the year so we just want to make sure we're approaching this with like the correct level of uh, of expectation and almost skepticism but having said that, uh, there were, I thought there were some I, I thought there were some interesting little subplots today, just on the first stage. I probably will release this after the second stage, so um, it's like a flatter, flattish stage that I expect Pascal Ackerman to win in a sprint. Um, but I don't, maybe I'm wrong. I'll have to come back and re-record this. Uh, just checking in after stage two finished. Wait, uh, the race did not play out at all like I thought it would. Uh, there was tons of crashes. It's it's crazy how how hard. And competitive these guys are racing um, makes me kind of wonder what why they're doing it. I mean, it was it was like a Tour de France stage. It was like a first week Tour stage with all these crashes towards the end. Uh, people really fighting for position. I mean, part of it might just be these French roads. I mean, I think if anything we've learned anything from the past month is that Europe just has better roads for pro road racing than the rest of the world. Um, it's really kind of interesting and refreshing to see these guys. On actual small curvy roads compared to like seven lane uh, middle eastern highways, which are not as good for bike racing, not as exciting, but part of the, the the tension in the crashes might just be I mean some of these roads are so small and they're like having to weave through towns for these bunch finishes when no one's that used to riding in a group i mean if, even if you take a few months off riding in a group and you go out on a group ride it, it's a little freaky. I mean you lose those skills so fast, so Maybe that's what's going on here, but as uh, continuing the theme of, if you've been following the newsletter, it's uh, my big thing is that unknown riders are going to dominate these early season races, and we had Timothy Dupont win today. I've never heard of this guy. Uh, he's a Belgian rider on a, the Biangol, uh team. I guess it's like a Belgian, a small professional Belgian team. Pierre Barbier was second, and then Giacomo, Giacomo Nizzolo was third. I mean, he's European road champion, definitely a big name. So, I mean, Nizolo's a better, a better sprinter than those two guys for sure, but we're just seeing that these, these bigger names are, are not taking it easy, but they're riding themselves into form while these uh, smaller pros realize that like this is their chance. This is their chance for glory. You might as well dump your whole season in these early races and get some results and then just try to take a break and build back up from there. Uh, Christophe Laporte finished fifth. I mean, he's definitely my favorite to win this overall. He looks fantastic in great shape. Kofidis needs some wins. This is a great place to get him. So I think he will win the whole thing. And I, I mean, yeah, I thought it would be like the Buhani Ackerman show, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. And if we look at stage three tomorrow it is, it's, it's a little, it's, it's actually a pretty interesting stage. There's a lot of like mini little mini mountain passes early in the stage. And then it looks like just a normal, it's going to be a normal bunch sprint, but nothing about this race has been normal. So that will probably be another crazy, uh, interesting finish. And then Saturday is like a really interesting, it's almost like a mini, uh, one day classic, just like a really hilly uphill finish. That's going to be exciting as well. And then we've got the TT on, on Sunday, which, uh, Filippo Ghana will win, and we'll get some interesting time splits from that up, the, the final 2K, 2.5-kilometer-long climb at the finish. So we will be able to tell how good a shape some of these guys are in. Just on the first stage, AG2R was at the front like the whole day. It, it was basically just AG2R leading the rest of the pro peloton on like a group ride. Um, and I assume it was because t- they thought the finish would suit Greg Van Avermaet. Uh, Greg, Greg Van Avermaet did not do well. He got fifteenth place, fifteenth place in that finish. And like Greg Van Avermaet, in his prime, even out of shape, would have probably been top five there. I mean that it's not that's not a great finish for him. And what's weird about that is if you remember, he crashed at Liège-Bastogne-Liège and he broke a vertebrae and collapsed. The had a collapsed lung. So I I wouldn't be surprised if he's struggling. But I thought it was odd that his team would put that much pressure on him. Like. Are they not communicating or do they expect him to be good no matter what? Like, hey, I don't care if you broke your back and had a collapsed lung four months ago. Like, we're working. We're all in for you today. So I thought that was weird. If they, I don't know if they're just trying to, like, build his confidence by letting him see the teams there to work for him. But that was, I, that was the most notable and strangest thing I saw on the stage today. Uh, something else that was notable was Vincenzo Nibali was 13th. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Vincenzo Nibali... Finishing ahead of Greg Van Avermaet on like a punchy finish, uh, which shows me that Nibali, I I kind of wrote him off after the Giro last year. Like this guy's just just not good enough anymore. These younger younger riders are better, but judging by today's performance, he's coming back this season. Uh, and I believe he's going to the Giro. I believe he's targeting that for the GC. So he's clearly not messing around with his fitness. So yeah, I mean I actually. His performance today maybe think maybe he's not quite done. So I don't think he's gonna win another grand tour, but you know, he could he could definitely improve on his his seventh place overall this year last year. That was he looked he looked pretty sharp today. Um, Egan Bernal and Garrett Thomas, they both were like around a hundred today. That's not that weird. I don't expect much from either of them. Thomas was working for Nikhail Kievkowski, his teammate. Kikowski I think got like 5th or 6th and that's it's kind of weird to see. I mean, he probably would have won today's stage 5 years ago, but he's just not the same rider he used to be. Um I keep expecting him to like break out of this funk, but I think this is just what he is now and I don't know if that's just he so much doing so much teamwork. He's just kind of become like a a professional domestique for grand tours if that's just blunted his explosiveness or, or what's going on there. Or maybe everyone, maybe the level is just higher now and he hasn't been able to, to match that. But there's a time trial. There's not really any big climbs because we're in France in the wintertime. So like, where could they climb? think Tour of Provence. You know, you get down towards the Mediterranean. You can, you can do some climbs um, maybe, but if you can't go in the Alps, it'd be way too snowy. So there's not really going to be anything. We're not going to see anything from Thomas, Nibali or... Bernal that would really give us a peep into how fit they are but the final stage on Sunday is a time trial and it has a 2.5 kilometer long uh, climb at the end and so that's going to be really interesting that's going to give us like a great little uh window into how Bernal is doing Egan Bernal if you remember he left the tour last year after winning the year before with like a a back problem the whole thing was weird I, I still don't quite understand it to this day like the team, his team knew that he had back issues before they sent him there. They sent him anyway. They pulled him out of the Dauphiné Libéré like two weeks before the tour. So they knew the back was a problem. Sent them to a, the tour anyway. Um, kind of set him up for failure there. I don't quite know why they did that. And then after the tour, it came out that he had scoliosis. I don't know if this was a translation issue or what. But if this, if so, that, that's very serious. That's not something that you can just like, oh, I did some workouts. Did some rehab and I'm good. I fixed my scoliosis. I mean, that one leg was longer than the other, which that's not a huge deal. I mean, a lot of people people figure that out. A lot of cyclists have one leg longer than the other. But there seemed to be, I I couldn't quite tell. I mean, I couldn't quite tell if he either was supposed to get a surgery to fuse uh, some of his vertebrae together, which is really serious, or he didn't do it and thought he could just build up strength in his back to uh to fix the scoliosis i know the whole thing was odd i've never i i guess you can do back back exercises to like help your scoliosis and i think we have like a dr tim in wenatchee md uh if you know if this sounds insane to you please uh please write in let us know and i'll read your response in the next podcast um the whole thing was strange but We'll uh we'll get to see in that time trial if we, we'll get to look at the splits for that final climb and see uh if he's if he's really off the pace like if he's one of the worst riders we'll know like immediately that red flags should be going up that like he might not even be able to complete the season again this year but if he's pretty good then well that's interesting then we then we have you know then he you know I don't think he's gonna the, th- the problem with Brunel is he kind of came up right before this new generation that seems to be like better than any generation ever in cycling. So, oops, that stinks for him that he has like guys like Tadej Pogacar and Remco Evenepoel coming up behind him. But he also there also just wasn't a lot of time trials. Like it was not a serious amount of time trials in that 2019 tour. And he had a bad, there was one time trial and he had a bad, no, there was a team time trial, which is great for him because his team's so strong. One individual time trial um, and he he was not good, but it was so short that he could make up for it. But there's 58 kilometers of individual time trialing at the 2021 Tour. And that seems to be, uh, the Tour wants to put more time trials in going forward. So I don't quite know how he fixes that because there's guys his age that are so good at that. It's so good at both time trialing and climbing that I don't quite I don't quite know how he can uh, crack that code. If he's going to lose time in the time trial, and he's not really a better climber than than Bogachar or we don't really know how Rimko Ivanepol climbs in a Grand Tour, but he's pretty freaking good because he's so small and so powerful. So I'd assume he's pretty good at alpine climbs. Uh, I think it's just going to be tough for him in the future to win to win Tour de France. But having said that, if he has a good a good uh, final climb in that TT on Sunday. We'll, we'll know that he's possibly back. I am dropping this in just a little bit later. Since I wrapped up recording, Ineos announced they would not be sending Egan Bernal to the Tour de France to target overall victory, but instead would be sending them to the Giro d'Italia, and that Geraint Thomas, Deo Gaginhardt, and Richard Carapaz would be going to the Tour de France in, in an attempt to win. Um, this is not super surprising. Uh, I... Bernal does not seem to be, I, I just physically, he's not the same rider he was in 2019 when he won to the Tour de France, but the most interesting part of the, the quotes from Dave Brailsford, the general manager of Ineos, is that he made it seem like it was uh, like an emotional issue, that Egan Bernal's just, I think his quote was, we have to get him enjoying being on the bike again, uh, d- d- doesn't mention physical ailments at all, which is very, very, very interesting. Um, makes me wonder if the back scoliosis story was just a smokescreen over the off-season to cover up the fact that he just kind of burnt out and dropped out of the Tour of France because he wasn't enjoying being there. Um, That would be much—it's a very hard thing to come back from, especially if you're burning out that early, you know, at like age 22, 23. Um, I've covered this a little bit in the past. Uh, Thomas— Ko Hart and Karapaz are the three best GC riders on that team. Well, actually, I don't know Richie Port. They're not. They're specifically not sending Richie Port to the tour to try to win it. I actually think Richie Port might be the best chance they have. I mean, he got third last year. Um, he doesn't respond well to pressure, though, so it's probably best just to just to kind of ignore him, send him there, maybe he does well, maybe he doesn't. But just don't talk about it or ever mention him because that's how you get the best performance out of him. But uh, Thomas is old. Rasford said there's no, there's no uh, evidence that getting old makes you slower. That's literally an insane thing to say because that just science science and the experience of every professional sports person ever would uh would contradict that. I have no idea why he said that or why he's talking about that. It's um, just hard for guys in their mid thirties to win the Tour de France uh, Grand Tours in general. It almost never happens uh but Thomas, with the time trials. Uh, Present. I mean, I think Richard Carapaz is the best GC rider on that team. He is just not good enough at time trials. I think to survive the 58 kilometers of TTs, individual time trialing in the race. So I can see why they're leaning on Thomas. I think he's their best bet. Teo Gegenhardt's quite good. I wrote about this after the Giro d'Italia this year. Um, His average watts in the final TT were very good, like in the mid 400s. So I mean, if he, maybe he's just turning into a more complete rider. Someone who can, I mean, he was climbing with, like, the best, like, some of his climbing times in the zero were, like, the best in the world, and, like, better than Chris Froome in his prime. So, if he can TT decently well, if he's turning into, like, a decent time trialist, I mean, he's got a shot. So, I, I don't hate that either. Um, I just think they're all going to do pretty well. I think this is going to be their problem this year. Thomas, Hart, Carapaz, they're all going to do pretty well, but none of them are good enough to beat the best. You know Roglic and Pogachar are still better. Um, I would have thought Tom Dumoulin, but he will not be there. So you know maybe maybe you just show up with those three guys and you hope that something happens. I mean stuff happens in these races. Uh, Roglic and Pogachar could crash, uh, get a flat tire, ha- have a bad day. It doesn't happen that much to either of them, but you never know. You know so you got to show up and try. Um, I don't hate this strategy. I kind of think this is what they should have done and done last year i mean i guess they tried to send carapaz but at that point he was his training was just so calibrated towards the giro there was no way he could could really pivot fast enough to lead the team at the tour and garrett thomas was just really out of shape um something i was talking to a friend about is that if you look at the debesange start list it's a lot of the gc riders there you can tell their riders the team doesn't trust to get in shape by themselves so it's like Bernal, Garrett Thomas, and Vincenzo Nibali, all who respond very well to racing or have in the past um, versus training. But you got to remember, Ineos encourages, it might be a team policy or it might be an unofficial policy that you can't have a family and work for the team. So, I mean, think about that. That's a huge sacrifice. People are like putting off or just not having families so they can give their their whole life to the team. And then you have someone like Garrett Thomas in 2020, who just like shows up legit out of shape after COVID, after the COVID break, it's pretty disrespectful to those people who are putting that much into the team to not, not, not treat it professionally and take it seriously. Um, so yeah, I think there might've, I, I would imagine there's quite a bit of tension behind the scenes about that. Like, Hey man, what happened? Like we needed you and you just screwed off for a couple of months and showed up extremely out of shape. So I, I would, Gets guess that's why he's uh, at these early season races because they don't trust him to train by himself. But I don't hate this lineup. I think this is probably what they should have done last year. It's good that they're recognizing that it's just not going to work out for about Bernal at least in the near future. It's crazy if we cast our minds back to 2019. It's he was like the star. He was supposed to be the star of the future for the next 10 years, and now it looks like it's over. So. The future comes fast in pro cycling. I mean, in sports in general. So it's, uh, it's important to remember when we're talking about like, oh, wow, we're going to be watching Tadej Pogacar dominate for the next 10 years. Wu Van Arten, and Matthew Vanderpoel are going to be the best riders for the next 10 years. That It, just, it doesn't often work out that way. And uh, your time can pass, pass incredibly fast. So just something, a good lesson to take away from this. I'll, I'll just drop us back into the, the, uh, the rest of the podcast. It's already been recorded. Garrett Thomas. I'm I've cannot figure this guy out. He had great time trialing form in twenty twenty. Not a great I mean, so lackluster climbing that they didn't even take him to the tour. And then he was okay at Torino Adriatico and then crashed out the other year before he could really see anything. So we don't really know if he can be a serious threat for the tour this year. I mean, if he's I mean, obviously on paper, like he could, right? Because he's if he's so good in the time trials. And he can just hang in the mountains. He he could win the tour in theory. Uh, But he's going to be 35, I think, at this year's tour. I mean, no one over the age of 36 has ever won the race. So he would be like the third or fourth oldest winner of all time if he won. Uh, So, yeah, I don't like those odds. But I'm dying to see how he is on some type of climb. So we'll be able to tell from that TT how his climbing is going. So that's something to pay attention to. I think that's it for, for this week, I'm going to be doing like an in-depth writer preview for the upcoming season, uh, on the newsletter end of this week and, and through next week. So make sure you catch that if you're interested and thanks for listening. And, uh, and I'll check back in, uh, early next week, just to check the results of, we'll talk about the final few stages of Bissange and how that final time trial went as well. And, uh, and then get ready for the UAE that you I know we're all dying to talk about the UAE tour. I mean, dad, what a f- hey, that race is filled with history. It's been going on for at least 2 or 3 years. But uh <laughs> there's what the good thing is, is these early season races I think are just going to be so it's just all the good riders are going to have to go to the the few early season races that are left that it's going to make it a lot more A, easier to watch and B, easier to talk about, more interesting to talk about. So, that's the silver lining here. But have a great week and thanks for joining.